it's like the Presbyterian church. It's good for us to understand what it means to belong to the Christian Reformed Church. And uh, you as a church and our church as well have been going through five pillars of Reformed faith. And I think you've already had a scripture alone. You, uh, you considered Psalm 1. And last week was about... Christ alone, very, very important, and today is about grace alone. So we're going to watch a brief video uh, which takes us back 500 years to get us understanding why it is so important for us to understand what it means to be saved by grace alone. And then we'll read from John chapter 3. Thank you, Jim. He was forced to halt work on the church's greatest extravagance yet, the glorious Basilica of St. Peter's. It's one of the greatest building schemes in European history, and all the great artists and sculptors and architects of the Italian Renaissance, without exception, took part in this scheme. It just sucked in money, as building projects do suck in money. Leo was unconcerned. To refill his treasuries, he turned to one of the church's most proven methods for raising money. Selling indulgences, charging the faithful for entry into heaven. This indulgence was basically a piece of paper sold for a, a very appropriate sum of money, incidentally adjusted to your means, which promised to pay the bearer on demand forgiveness of sins. Leo's indulgence had a number of unique benefits. You could buy one not just for yourself, but also for your dead relatives. And it pardoned an astonishing array of sins. It was said that it would even forgive sexual intercourse with the Virgin Mary, had that been possible. Here was salvation in exchange for a sum. sums of money trying to be raised in the 1517 indulgence are very, very large, and we're talking tens of thousands of gulden. Uh, we're, we're talking in modern money, many millions. Leo made careful preparations for the issuing of his new indulgence. He brought in a Dominican friar called Johann Tetzel to handle the sales and PR. He had chosen well. Tetzel was a marvelous advertising executive who had a wonderful line in, in, in promotional uh, jingles and uh, slogans. He almost invented the advertising jingle, you see. He would say, when the coin in his coffer rings, then the soul heavenward wings. See, you can actually see the soul uh, uh, um, <laughs> escalating to heaven from purgatory. Leo waited for his empty coffers to fill with the donations of the faithful. Tetzel's main market for selling the new indulgence was Germany. And the people of Wittenberg quickly heard about the bargain deal that the church was offering on redemption.
Luther found that many of his congregation had turned away from his sermons and were rushing to spend their hard-earned money on Tetzel's offer. But for Luther, his moment of revelation had left him with one simple message. Salvation was a gift from God, a gift received through faith. Please, and turn with me to John chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. John chapter 3. John 3, starting at verse 1. You must be born again. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do, know, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Thanks, Fiona. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word that we can read. Lord, your word that speaks to us. Lord, the Spirit of truth who points us to the truth. Lord Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life. Father, we pray that you will help us understand your word. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be truly working through myself as your servant as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of us are blessed to be parents. Many of us are blessed to be parents. Can you go to the PowerPoint, please? Children are truly gifts from the Lord. 
They are truly miracles. I remember growing up in this church and uh, with my wife going through lots of difficulty having children and keeping children. So we truly understand, like many of you, that children are truly a gift. Uh, Friends of ours, uh, and perhaps you have friends too, uh, would love to dearly have children, but really struggle to conceive and to keep children. My question for all of us is, are we joyful, are we thankful for these physical births in our children? Do we take them for granted? And I hope not. I want to go from a physical birth perspective to a spiritual birth perspective, being saved from our sins. Are we joyful? Are we so thankful for the amazing gift of salvation that has been gifted to us? Nicodemus, that we read about, is a prominent leader. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. And in verse 2 in your Bibles, Nicodemus acknowledges Jesus as someone really special. He calls him teacher, one from God, one who does amazing miracles, and God is with him and is really powerful. But if you look at the start of verse 2 in your Bibles, Nicodemus comes at night It's a symbolical way to show that Nicodemus is still in the darkness. He's still not saved. He hasn't fully understood who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Perhaps we could be a Nicodemus growing up in church circles, hearing the word preached week after week, but still not clearly understanding who our Savior is and why Jesus came on that first Christmas. In verse 3, Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart. In verse 3, he says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In verse 4, Nicodemus is thick. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. He's thinking in the natural. Do I have to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? He is a religious leader of their time. Nicodemus would have known the Old Testament scriptures. But he did not get the most important issue of his life and of our life about being saved. Over at our church, we've uh, replaced our old pews with new seats. And a pastor came, because we had some surplus seats, a pastor came and he bought some of our new surplus seats. And I got talking to him, And uh, I said, what are you preaching on? What's most important to you? And he said, many of my members have been in church circles but are not born again. 
So I'm preaching regularly on the importance of the Holy Spirit saving us through grace alone and making us born again. So the question is, how are we born again? Well, firstly, we are saved by grace of the lifesaver, and this work is God's work. If you look in your Bibles in verse 6, and I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church so you can read God's Word, because through the Word, the reading and the preaching of God's Word, God speaks to us. In verse 6, Jesus says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Nicodemus would have known the Old Testament in Ezekiel. Look how many times the word I will in yellow. Five times in the Old Testament, in this short few verses, God takes the initiative. I will cleanse. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you. It is God's work. He is the one that makes us born again. And secondly, it's God's work done to us. God's work done to us. The verbs being born again in the original language is all in the passive tense. Now that's really important because that verb tells us that we are born again not in our own strength, but that is done to us. The Holy Spirit does that amazing, miraculous work to us, not us contribute any shape, way, or form to this important work. That's the meaning of being saved by grace alone. You and I do not contribute one iota. We do not do anything in order to be saved. God does that supernatural, spirit, miraculous work in you and me. The church, as we saw in that video, 500 years ago, did not get this. They wanted to sing the uh, hymn, Amazing Works Saved a Wretch Like Me. So they paid their well-earned money to buy a piece of paper called an indulgence so that their sins would be forgiven. They would pay money so that their dead relative could spend less time in purgatory and that they can go straight to heaven. People would collect relics, skulls, bones, fingernails of the apostles, so-called fingernails and relics. And they would buy these relics and worship them. They would worship images in their cathedrals. They would pray to the saints instead of praying through Jesus to our Lord and Heavenly Father. The Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate in a moment, 
they made the Lord's Supper into this religious rite, thinking that I can do whatever I want during the week, and then I would come on Sunday, have the Lord's Supper, and I would be forgiven, and I would go again for another week. They made it into a religion of works instead of a relationship of grace. Let me say that again. They made it into a religion of works instead of a relationship of grace. And the reformers of the time said no. Being converted by the Holy Spirit, being captured by God's Word said no, this is not right. Let's call us back to God's Word. And they pointed to the word in Ephesians 2, 8, which it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Can we go to the next slide, please? See, we are saved purely by God and His grace alone. That word grace is a summary word for the gospel or the good news. Grace speaks of God's undeserved favor and commitment to us. Joel said at the start, it's God's riches at Christ's expense speaks of God's undeserved mercy and love for us as sinners. That though we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Christ. And He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to encourage us, to counsel us, to comfort us through all of our ups and our downs, and to work in us and to make us holy, and to grow us in our holiness. This life-saving work is also, thirdly, a mysterious work of God. Uh, many of you, like me, like camping. And um, I've been to the prom once. And I'm going to question whether I go back again, because it was the worst time to go at the prom the wind was amazing it was so windy it felt like the wind would just go through one mountain and come and hit my camper trailer and my tent would go this and that and I couldn't sleep and a decretza without sleep is not very good <laughs> verse 8 in your bible says the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, like that wind at the prom that we did not know where it was coming from. It came from this way, that way to blow my camper trailer down. So it is with the Spirit. We cannot see where He is working. We cannot know who He is working in. But it is God's mysterious work in the heart of the sinner, saved by grace alone. 
the Holy Spirit decides who is born again and who is not. Our job, our job as a church, as a community of believers, is to carry out our church's vision. Now, all of you, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is One Hope Community Church's vision statement? Come on. A community continually growing closer to God, impacting others by sharing Jesus Christ and extending His kingdom. See, even though the Holy Spirit did His mysterious work and He decides who is saved and, and who comes into the kingdom, our job is to do your vision statement, is to be continually impacting others by sharing Jesus Christ. And as His Holy Spirit does that work in the the unbeliever, he would extend the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is getting to Nicodemus here. And having being saved by grace, we are called, secondly, to live by grace. Now, I don't know who is preaching next Sunday on Reformation Sunday on faith alone, but I'm going to be preaching the rest of this are talking about the importance of believing in Jesus. That is how we are saved. Having faith in Jesus Christ alone. So I'm not going to go into the next few verses. But I want to concentrate on being saved by grace. God encourages us and commands us to now flee from sin. We see this progression in Nicodemus. In verse 2 in your Bibles, we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. A symbolical way to show that he's still in the darkness. But in chapter 7, Nicodemus speaks in support of Jesus. And then in chapter 19, Nicodemus takes a massive risk. He appears with Joseph. To ask for Jesus' body to Pilate. Now we wouldn't see this progression in Nicodemus if he wasn't born again. If he wasn't saved from his sin and that he continued to flee from sin. See, before many of us were saved, we were dead in our sins. We followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2. We gratified the cravings of our sinful nature. But our God of love, our God who's rich in mercy and grace, made us alive with Christ in Him. He's gifted us the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to live in the believer, to empower us to flee from sin, to fight temptation. And one time we loved that old way of sin. But now that we are saved and born again, we are called to flee from that old place of sin. And it should become easier 
having been born again, to live, as Romans 12 says, to live holy and pleasing lives to Him. That is our spiritual act of worship. Not only we are called to flee from sin, but also being touched by God's grace, we are called to extend love and grace to one another. John writes in his letter in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. See, born-again believers are loving believers. In the Lord's Prayer that all of us pray, we have a stanza which says, Forgive our sins. Forgive our sins. And the next bit is just as important as we forgive those who sin against us. As I look around the room, so many have sinned against you and me. So many have spoken ill of you and me. Our secular society wants to persecute us for being believers and Christians. But God's Word says, being saved by grace alone, we are called to extend grace and love to our neighbor. This word seems easy, but it's so hard for us to do. I heard this quote said of Reformed members. It said this, Reformed members love the doctrine of grace, but Reformed members struggle to practice the doctrine of the grace. How is it of you and me? How is it of our churches dealing with difficult issues? Dealing with difficult people? Would that be quote be true of you and me? That having been touched by God's amazing grace, we would be known for our love and our grace that we share with each other. May God help us to be encouraged that we are saved by God's grace alone. That we would be a church community. That we would be family. That we would be individuals being touched by God's grace. And we would also share God's grace with those around us. Nicodemus and we are challenged this morning by the most important question, the most important issue that you and I need to decide upon. If you are saved by God's grace alone, be joyful 
Be joyful. Know that you are on the winning team. And share God's grace. Even though it's so difficult to share with our prickly family and friends, our difficult customers at work or uni or school, if you haven't responded to God's amazing offer of grace, friends, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Hear the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, calling you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Respond by saying, Lord, I repent of my sins. I am sorry for the life I've been living. Please save me. I repent. I believe and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. And that is it, that it, is it alone. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. It's all of God's grace. And when we respond by faith, we also, like Nicodemus, can enter the kingdom of God and enjoy His amazing grace and forgiveness. I'd like to finish off by... Can we go to that last slide, please? Hey? Yes, this slide here. God's Word also he tells us not only to be hearers of God's Word, but also to be doers of God's Word. I'm big on application. So I'd like you, if you're comfortable with the person next to you, what is one thing that you have learned from God's Word this morning? And what is one thing that you will do in response to God's Word today? So one minute to think about how we will apply this Word. Thank you for thinking about how we'll apply it, and I encourage you and challenge you to take that conversation over a cup or afterwards as well. It's providential and I think very intentional that you've chosen to celebrate Lord's Supper after a sermon about God's grace. So I want to take you back to a few different issues where the Reformation was dealing with, and I hope it's an encouragement for you. The Eucharist or Thanksgiving, or Holy Communion, or Lord's Supper, was a key point of controversy 500 years ago. The Roman Catholics teach that the bread and the wine and the juice were transformed into the real body and blood of Jesus on the consecration by the priest. Martin Luther, however, taught that the body and blood of Jesus is present in with and under the actual bread and wine. A chap by the name of Zwingli turned to the person next to you without spitting at them and says, Zwingli. Zwingli saw the supper as representing or memorializing, that's a big word, Christ's self-giving on the cross. Christ's presence is not localized in the bread and the wine, but in the gathered believers. Scripture says, The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's say these words together. The bread and the wine represent the body and blood of the Savior. They are received in faith as signs and seals of all the benefits of His sacrifice on the cross. Bread and wine are an illustration and guarantee to believers of the forgiveness of sins, the strengthening of our faith, and the communion of believers with the Lord as well as with each other. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who believe in Jesus as their Savior, who desire to live in obedience to Him, and are members in good standing in their church, if that's you here this morning, you are invited to come and share in the table of the Lord. All those, however, who do not have this faith and repentance in their hearts, but who live in willful disobedience to the Lord, are urged to turn from these ways of rebellion, or if not, to stay away from this table, lest they eat and they drink judgment on themselves. The bread which we break is our sharing in the body of Christ. Take the bread. As you eat of it, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given so that all of our sins could be forgiven. The wine or the juice points us to the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ which was shed the crown of thorns which was forced on his head, when the spear went into his side and all of his blood and his water gushed out. As he hung on that cross, as those nails were pierced through his hands, through his feet, his precious blood was shed so that wretched sinners like you and me could be wiped clean by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and His blood alone. So drink the juice, and as you drink it, remember and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was given, was shed, for the total forgiveness of all of our sins. Can I invite the elders to come to the front and take the elements and come from the sides, and we go through the middle. Thank you.